following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Welcome to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Weekly winners from his Wise Guy Roundtable. Broadcasting from the pregame.com studios in Las Vegas. Here is R.J. Bell. National Football League Edition Conference Championships with my Wise Guy Roundtable. To my right, the batter, Steve Fezzik. In front of me, the bookmaker, Matty Holt. I'm R.J. Bell. And guys, two games left of the Super Bowl. We got the whole team here, and we are breaking down, this is right, the 11 biggest factors in each of these two games. We're doing it systematically, and at the end, we should have some very clear props or totals or bets, or at least at minimum, you're going to have some nuggets to consider as you make your assessments on the game's themselves. Maddie looks a little bit like Rocky Balboa. Let's say after Clubber Lang in three, a little punchy, but he's here. Got to appreciate that. He was wavering a little by tax. I said, we don't want to disappoint the fans. He said, I'll be there no matter what it takes. Then he put LOL. I'm not sure what that meant after when he put the ha ha, but he's here. Let's get to it. First game. We're going to go with the Vikings and the Eagles right now, Vikings minus three with a little extra juice line opened up more towards three and a half. It's moved towards the Eagles. All right, let's start with our leaner likes and then we'll fill it in. So Fez leaner like on this game, like the Eagles. I know we said the look at line on this game was going to be four to four and a half, but I think the Eagles outperformed how we thought they were going to do last week. And the Vikings meltdown in the second half was uh, disappointing. Had to um, be, have to be concerned about them going forward. So do you actually downgrade the Vikings? I downgraded them by half a point. Yes. Wowza. All right. So high, high level, Maddie leaner, like uh, lean Philly, lean Philly. So this is a tight call for you. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's go through our items. Let's look at, and we talked a little about it last game recent games. So Fez is, I don't really, I don't really judge Minnesota harshly at all because my thinking is it's against Drew Brees. It's the first playoff game. Uh, Zimmer had been 0 and 10 straight up in playoff games since 1996. So to me, it's a situation that the fact they came back is more telling than the fact that they, and remember, it wasn't just that amazing play. If the Vikings would have been a little smarter. And again, I don't, I think when it comes to clock management, I feel a little comfortable giving strong opinions because it is pure logic to some degree. But it, to me, when they ended up kicking what that 51 yard field goal, which was the, the, the third last score, right? There was another score and another score after that is if they would have just ran the ball twice instead of passing on second and third, They probably would have picked up three or four more yards. It would have been an easier field goal. Minnesota would have burnt or the Saints would have burnt their last time out. And they would have been another 45 seconds off the clock. I mean, at that point, they probably win that game at that point. 
it's good to see you breaking down the X's and O's and the game management. Not RJ. X's and O's, right? Well, right. It's, it's, the it's, game management. It's, it's it's like Madden style, you know, logic. If you're playing, you know, the video game. But to me, if they had done that, we would have left saying, "Wow, what a comeback!" They were tested and they came back, right? Absolutely. You know, my biggest concern was Case Keenum. He's in the friendly confines. He's at home. He's up 17 nothing, And he made two critical mistakes in the third quarter. And It's the- so funny how if the narrative is a guy's not a good quarterback, any mistakes he makes, that's what we point out. But if he's a good quarterback, we point out all the good things he did. Fair enough. I but mean, what-, what quarterback has a perfect game? Well, when you're up 17 nothing, it's a lot easier to have a clean game. And we talk about that with Blake Bortles all the time. So he he really made some significant mistakes with the game completely in hand late in the third, but middle you of the third added, quarter. You added up, how would you rate on a scale of one to a hundred his performance, Keenum's performance last week against the Saints? I think he met expectations. Which is met expectations is in the second best quarterback in the league by QBR? No, it, it, it was based upon how we thought he would do going into the game. I think he pretty much played as we expected. But the, I think the range of expectations for Keenum amongst even experts is a wide range. So again, let's use one to 32 as our, let's not do one to hundred. Let's go one to 32. Meaning if you give him a one in a given week, that's the best quarterback you could expect to see if there was a full card, one out of 32 quarterbacks, give him a 32. He's the worst. Give him a 16. He's average. What ranking one to 32. Do you give Keenum last week? 11. Okay. Pretty good. Pretty good. All right. So Net net, and then we're going to get to Maddie in a second. Net net, you still downgrade the Vikings, even though I mean it just seems so weird. Don't you give them a lot of credit for being up seventeen nothing? Yeah, but I thought their defense was so good that I would not have envisioned that they'd be they they'd wind up giving up a seventeen nothing lead, even if their offense stalled at that point. Their defense was not as good as I had expected. Um, that second half kind of shocked me, frankly. What defense is good against Breeze playing that well? Well, the Saints, when they played a really good defense, they've been held to 20 points three I'm not, times I'm not this year. I'm talking about that. I'm talking about what was on the field that day. Drew Brees was playing at another level. He was, and he converted those fourth and tens, and you can say that was Brees. Are you going to blame a little bit on the Minnesota Viking defense? Maybe a little bit of each, but maybe it was just Brees really rising to the moment. Okay, Maddie, same question to you. What did you do with the Vikings power rating-wise? I actually thought they dropped a half point, too. And coaching is so critical in sports, collegiate and pro, more so in collegiate than it is in professional sports sometimes. But we saw so many critical errors by coaches at the end of these games again last week. And I thought Zimmer, you know, watch a Patriots game when they're up 17 nothing, and then watch what happened in the Minnesota game. The Patriots never go away from their game plan. They will keep pouring it on you because they're going to go with what got them that 17 nothing lead. And we saw another kind of first-timer in this situation in Zimmer and, and with Case Keenum in that situation not really handle that 17-0 lead very well. I also thought their defense, considering all the advantages they had with that raucous home crowd noise, didn't exactly play outstanding in the second half. Um, you know, I think that they, they had far exceeded expectations so much that we had maybe boosted them a little higher than we should, and thus I pulled back the reins a little bit as well. Okay, let's stay with Maddie, the Eagles. How do you rate them? What was your adjustment? I actually kept them the exact same. Really? really? Yeah, I, I thought this line should have opened three and a half. I mean, should be three and a half now, really, and not three, which is why I can only lean Philly because I... Well, hold on. If you think the line should be three and a half, don't you have to like 
The the Vikings. Well, I have some motivational spots, and normally I jump all over Fez because of them. But I, I I have this theory period of playing against the team coming off their biggest performance in the biggest game of the year. And I remember listening to Case Keenum on interviews on Tuesday morning, two full games after the day, talk about how he still hadn't slept for more than two hours straight. And I think a lot of those things play into the factor as well for me this week of, um, you know, coming down off that huge high this week for the Vikings. So for that reason, I, I want to avoid Minnesota. But I certainly didn't upgrade Philly off to performance last week. Okay, just to be clear, though, when you say the line should be three and a half, you're talking pure power ratings correct. before you get into yeah, the correct. individual game yeah. handicap. Fez Philly. I bumped Philly by half a point. Basically, they got out. They lost the turnover battle by two. So we know what happens when you lose the turnover battle by two. You don't win the game unless you play better than the other team, typically. And the fact that they lost two fumbles, fumbles really largely random, and they could overcome it and win the game straight up. I thought that that was impressive. They largely did that because Foles settled in and really played as well as he had been playing in the second half of this game as he did in the Giants game, his one good game prior to this game. Wow. I so disagree with you guys. I think you upgrade the Eagles two points. Two. And here's why. One, this is a team I had no idea how they would do in the playoffs. I mean, everyone talks about Schwartz as a defensive coordinator, but obviously as a head coach, not a ton of success and not a ton of playoff success. I don't remember if he even made the playoffs. And I mean, maybe, I mean, am I missing something? Any of these teams have, or any of these coaches on Philly have like some strong playoff history, even as assistants. I mean, not that I'm remembering, right? Maybe, but uh, so to me, one, you're in a situation where there was no idea if they could get blown out or not. And if you listen to the media, the sense was, oh, Philly's going to get blown off the field, right? All, everyone in the media was on Atlanta. So now to win that game, and now it's like pretty much Vegas is telling you, whatever you did last week, that's all you have to do this week, and you're in the Super Bowl. To me, that is a confidence booster for the Eagles. Unlike, I mean, imagine if you're in a situation, Fez, where you know, you, you've had a competitive chess history, right? And let's say you're going up from a certain level of play to the next level of play. Or in poker is a good example. It's even more quantifiable is, hey, I played 2-5 for a lot of years, and then I went to 5'10". I got to be honest, the first time I booked a nice win in 5'10", I was like, yeah, I was so much more confident that next time. You've gone up in limits. Haven't you had that same phenomenon? Absolutely. So you went at a 5'10 game. In my case, in chess, the first time I beat a chess master. Before I, I beat a chess master, I said, I don't know if I'll ever beat a master. Once I beat him, I'm like, well, I can do this. And the, the problem I have with Philly, and I actually agree but, with but you. But let's stick to this concept for a second. Yep. Now... You've got a backup quarterback, too. So it's not only the whole team without playoff experience, but you've got a backup who initially, right here on the Dream Preview, we said Wentz to Foles was four points only. Faz, you were there. I was there. If you look at the line in the Atlanta game, it was a 10-point adjustment. By most accounts, Atlanta would have been about a seven-point underdog with Wentz. They were three-point Favorite 10-point adjustment meant it was the biggest adjustment in the history of the NFL tied with Rodgers. Tom Brady never adjusted a line that much. Um, uh, nobody, you know, we can go through the list, right? Nobody except Rodgers, Peyton Manning. So now the question is, how much do we just upgrade Foles? If Foles was 10 points downgrade 
based upon the perception entering this game, I move it to seven. Yeah, let's bring Wentz back in. So the Eagles with Wentz, I would have eight points better than an average team. And you may well be right, RJ. I was thinking about making the Eagles two points better than an average team. So that's a, a six-point downgrade. Remember, I got to downgrade Foles a little bit for his performance, which has not been as good as we expected. But remember, that baseline of what you expected was only a four-point downgrade. So let's agree to this. The line should have probably been Atlanta one last week. Do we agree? Instead of three. I Agreed. Think- Two points of premium on it. So let's say that 10 points of adjustment was really eight points of adjustment because there was two points of premium that just didn't make sense. So if you initially thought four, then it moved to eight. Now, where do we move it to? Probably you're right. Probably should be five and a half. Here's my problem. Which would be a two and a half point upgrade. And well, here's the problem. Here's why I can't upgrade them that much. I've got them. I had them one point better than average team. I'm willing to go to two points better. Make a one-point adjustment. The reason I can't go higher, RJ, if they're two points better than an average team, if I set a season win number for them, Bowles is going to be their quarterback all year long. That means they got to be nine, a nine-win team, and I just don't believe they're a nine-win team with Foles at quarterback during the regular season. But you thought they would be a nine-win team when you only made the four-point adjustment. I did. So, Maddie, let me ask you this. How, wh- you were here on the same podcast, if I remember, when Foles was a four-point downgrade from Wentz is where did it go entering last week? And what's the adjustment now? I think it's also a combo in the Atlanta game. So let's, let's consider the fact that Atlanta was also red hot and a very public team coming off the Super Bowl appearance from last year. So the whole adjustment going into last game, wasn't just foals from Wentz. It also was some of Atlanta being too highly upgraded. Agreed. But if we agree that the, let's say the true line was close to Atlanta one or pick them or even pick them, yeah. let's say, well, we, I think everyone agrees that the F- Eagles would have been about seven with Wentz. I mean, I, I've t- talked to a lot of people about that, maybe six and a half, maybe seven. Yeah. So let's call it a seven point adjustment to pick them. The true line of last week, let's say, so, and we thought it was four. So we're still down at that point. We were still three points downgraded with Foles based upon our initial thoughts. Didn't did Foles play? I would make the case Foles last week played as well as we thought he would entering his replacement of Wentz. Like when you had him as a four point downgrade, wasn't that what you expected? What he you saw met last? expectations of, of, of what we expected his first initially. Game. Yes. So that means you've got to move it three points. Well, no, 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 absolutely not. Because you're, you're, you've only got one data point. Oh, we're going to blend it. Okay. Yeah. You got to You, you got to He only but scored 10 be, points against but Oakland. It RJ. But, but it can't be one sixth. If it's a three points, if that data point was the truth, 38% for the most recent data point. <laughs> okay. So then at minimum, it's like a point in two. It's 1.25. <laughs> yes. And did it the Eagles defense play better than you expected? Yes. Yes. So now they gave up 10 points and those were 18 yard drives. Absolutely. Much better. So if, if Foles himself gets upgraded 1.25 points, how much does the Eagles defense get upgraded? Half a point because so it's only one, one game. Now we're at 1.75. There you go. But and, you said but, a half. But even with these minor, I actually think it probably should be a point. Um, but even with these minor microscopic adjustments I've made versus a significant adjustment, that still lands me power rating wise significantly on the Eagles in this game. All right. So that's a good adjustment or, or, or a good segue. Our second major point we'll go over in each game are the power ratings. So Faz, are you going to, first off, are you going to make an adjustment to your power rating right now? I am. I'm going to make the Eagles two points better than an average team that moves them up 
to the number 10 team in but the NFL. But just to be clear, the two-point adjustment is a half point more. So you've got Philly plus two. You've got Minnesota plus six. So four points better on a neutral for many. What's the home field for Philly? Two and a half. Two and a half. So we're looking at the line should be not really caring about key numbers for a second. The line should be Minnesota minus one and a half. Correct. And you might even want to give Philly three because you've got a dome team. I know they're in Minnesota where it's zero degrees, but you got a dome team having to play in the elements. And that's historically not been something that dome teams have been successful doing, including the Detroit Lions. Now, Matty, you said if you were just looking at power numbers, you thought this line. So Fez, we just landed at one and a half for Minnesota. You were saying three and a half. Yeah, I, I feel like. Sometime after Wentz got injured and Minnesota was so red hot, these two teams diverged so much that the gap got way bigger than it probably should have been. And even bringing it back a little bit last week, I still, the pure power numbers were like 3.37. Okay. Including home field advantage. So, so do you think in hindsight that maybe you had Philly a little underrated or agreed? Yes. I think they both diverged too much both ways. I think Minnesota diverged too high and Philly probably diverged a little too low in that last three weeks of the regular season and into the first week of the playoffs. So knowing everything you know now, taping on Wednesday, just power ratings wise, you've got this at? It's like 3.37, including okay. home field advantage. But I gave a full three points for uh, we actually added in 3.05 for home field advantage in the playoffs. Oh, no, 3.55 home field advantage in the playoffs. For Philly specifically or yes. all teams? No, for Philly in this game. That's interesting. because But we also were... anticipated maybe getting a little bit more weather in Philly this time of year than we're actually going to get this week. Okay. Because prior, when they were losing the Eagles, and even under Chip Kelly, they weren't a good home team. Agreed. But it seems like the enthusiasm, uh, I mean, Philly's the kind of place that if they, if they get up, they get up. There have been some notable failures at home for the Eagles during the playoffs. We're going back to Andy Reid. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, Andy Reid can trump a lot of things. (laughs) All right. Let's talk injuries. Anything that moves the needle either with people out or if thens that we should consider, Matty. I don't think so. I think the injury situation is, is fairly is what it is at this point this season Um, for these four games. I don't think there's anything that, any one particular player in either of these games where people are going, oh my, oh my goodness, I have to see this. I have heard a lot of talk that Rex Burkhead adds a lot to that New England backfield, but they have so many guys anyway that I don't uh, really agree. You said New England. Uh, yeah, I mean, in any of the four oh, teams, oh, okay. I don't think there's any. I mean, I, the one name I heard thrown around a lot is, hey, Rex Burkhead's coming yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just don't think any of them have a big impact this week, on the, uh, especially in the point spreads. So, Fez, keeping to the Philly game, any injuries that matter to you? Uh, two of them. Jason Peters has been out. He's a lineman for the Eagles, and that's certainly um, a concern about the, the, the their... Yeah, but he's been out. He's been out for a while. Yeah. Yes, exactly right. I and a new injury. That's what I'm saying. New yeah. In, yeah, new injury. It's not on the injury report. When I watched the game, Minnesota shut down corner Rhodes, who it's almost impossible to catch passes when he's guarding you. He came off the field during the Saints game. He came back on and he played. I don't think he's going to be a hundred percent, but he's not on the injury report. Okay. So prior matchups with these teams, is there anything that even in, in, in most in recent years that we would say, Hey, let's take a look at this as telling in any way for these teams. I don't think so. Especially since, you know, um, the quarterback situation is so different. 
you know, some of the key players and the key cogs coaching's different for the teams. Yeah. You know, the quarterbacks are different. I think it's really hard to compare teams because when they have so many drastic, different personnel, coaching well, I, and players. I, I agree. Especially if it's, I think last, if it's the prior year, you look at the specifics of the team. If it's two years ago, it's hard. Because he went from Chip Kelly to yeah, oh, for Doug. sure. I mean, just a complete change of everything. Yeah, last year, Philly did win. They hosted the game. They won 21 to 10. I didn't look at it very significantly because of what Maddie said. So many changes. Okay, common opponents. And this is very big in college. But does any common opponent here really jump out at us as telling? Open to either of you guys. All right, so moving on. So in a way, guys, this is telling for the listeners is we're really trying to break down. Like what are the elements that a pro is going to price differently than the market that might lead us to accumulating, aggregating enough points where we're getting, let's say a point and a half of value, a situation where, Hey, the market says it's three, but, and if you're coming off a three, you really only need a point of value, right? If you think it should be plus four, and you're getting, th- or, or or you think it should be minus four, you're going to lay three minus 110 and be pretty happy, right? If you're supposed to be laying five and a half, you're going to lay four. So, Fed, is that a fair way to say when we're trying to aggregate um, edges is if it's coming off a of three, we're looking for only a point. If it's coming off of any other number, pretty much, you're looking for a point and a half. That's correct. That gives you a significant edge. Half a point on or off the three is actually enough to lay a dollar ten, have the edge. So, yeah. So you're saying if the line, okay, so you're saying if you think it should be three and a half and it's only three, you still lay it. Yes. Now, what does that win long-term percentage-wise? Uh, it's going to land on three one out of ten times. So if you're, if the line should so be. So just to be clear is. If the line and people, and I'm not saying you get this wrong, but some people get this wrong. If the line is two and a half, three or three and a half, a game will end three exactly with the favorite winning 9% of the time. Whereas other people look at all the spreads, but it doesn't really matter. It only matters if it's around three. So let's, so, 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 so assume you bet 11, 11, 11 yeah. times. Okay. Yeah. Five times your favorite's going to crush them. Five times the underdog's going to cover one time. It's going to land on three. So if you can lay two and a half, you go six and five. If you take three and a half, you go six and five. It's a uh, um, a winning venture to, to hook that three. Do you agree with that logic? I do. I, I actually didn't look at the stat that you said, two and a half, three or three and a half. We did one that was under three and a half, and it actually was a little lower than uh, the one out of 10. It was like one out of every 8.7. So like almost one out of every nine. Okay. So, and and I went back to 89 doing that. But I did it different than you. You did two and a half, yeah. three or three and a half. Yeah. I did any game with a spread of three and a half down to pick them. Yeah. So in theory, that should land less because yeah. the, with normal distribution, the further you get away from the line. Agreed. So, um, okay. Next question, player matchups. So I'm interested in, Oh, this, you know, this front seven of the Eagles is so good. And you know, this left tackle struggling or whatever, maybe we just go back and forth until we get to the point where it's not, impactful enough to talk about what's the number one player matchup that you think there's an edge here Latavius Murray and and McKinnon being able to find some running room Minnesota despite having the second most rush attempts per game I mean a rush percentage per game this season rush play percentage they only average 3.9 yards per rush number 23 in the entire NFL but the Philly defense only allows 3.8 yards per rush number six in the entire NFL Minnesota 
the, with the simple fact that they run the ball, the second highest percentage of plays in the NFL, if Philadelphia is able to shut down McKinnon and Murray, that could be a problem for Keenan Allen in this spot on the road in a ruckus environment in the playoffs. Great stats there. What I would say is Minnesota's more old school, it feels like to me, with the idea of as long as we can run competently, we slow the game down, we bruise them up a little bit, and we're going to be better off in the second half kind of mentality. But the idea that you've got a, you know, on a per carry basis, a below average rushing team that rushes a bunch against a good rush defense in the weather, though not necessarily horrible weather, but Keenum again being an, uh, just somewhat unproven commodity. Very interesting. First of all, do you, uh, what's your takeaway on that, that analysis? I think it makes sense. Yeah, there you go. Logical. Thumbs up. Yes. All right. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, Sissy, it's pretty simple. Yeah. Cisco and Ebert style. Yeah. Okay. Your number one matchup. I think that the Minnesota offense has an advantage because of their diversity. You've got two wide receivers, Thielen and Diggs. So this is actually running. This is saying, yeah, you might be right, but I'm not sure it matters. Well, here's why I don't think it matters. The, the fact that they've got four um, receiver options. For Keenum, they got both wide receivers average over 50 yards per game. Elite tight end in Rudolph. You got Rudolph, he averages 50, and you got the running back averaging 50. So because of that, that's going to present some real matchup problems for the Eagles at defense. You can't just take away someone. We saw that against the Saints. But don't you think those options shrink a little bit if you can't get the run game going at all and it's third and seven or second and nine? Absolutely. And they also shrink if the field conditions are not good. And I think that those field conditions in Philly did not look good against Atlanta. And that may well slow these receivers down this week. Okay, great stuff. Uh, let's go one more round if we got them on player matchups. If you don't, just pass second matchup. Same thing on the other side of the ball here. Nick Foles has had plenty of uh, struggles when they get into third and long and second and long situations. And on uh, unlike the Minnesota team, though, who struggles to run the football on a yards per rush basis, Philadelphia is number seven in the league in yards per rush, averaging 4.4 yards per carry, and they have a pretty loaded backfield. The problem is, on the other side of the ball, Minnesota Vikings, number five in the NFL, only 3.7 yards per rush allowed. Just as we talked about, it's important for Minnesota, who runs the ball so much, to be able to get their running game going. I also think it's just as important for Nick Foles that Philadelphia is able to find some success running the ball Again, against the good rushing defense. So the takeaway is it's very possible neither team runs effectively. Correct. Both teams probably going to be conservative. What about, I mean, that we're going to be talking total here. By the way, total on this game, 38 and a half on this game. Speaking of totals in Vegas, I did some analysis on the conference championship game. Because in a way, that game really is unlike any other because it's not the Super Bowl, it's you know there's home field and all that, but but these are the two teams, you know that have made the you know the two best teams in a conference. So it's the highest state game or the, the highest quality game with any home field. And I looked at the total, saying, hey, there might be something interesting. So going back to 1980, over 35, under 36, push one. Hashtag Vegas is good. <laughs> Maddie, those but those dastardly bookmakers <laughs> for more stuff like that. His Twitter handle is at RJ in Vegas. All right. 
Last player matchup from you, Fez. I'm you're good. Pass. I'm good. I'm good. You know, and I want to disclose, you know, that's not my hardcore method You'll of picking winners in terms of the player <laughs> matchups. It works very well for some people. <laughs> it's just not something that I typically focus on in my handicapping. I am Elma J. Foot, millionaire. <laughs> I own a mansion and a yacht. Thank you, Fez. <laughs> you got to love that, don't you, Maddie? <laughs> Next topic, coaching. I already came out with the whole Zimmer, right? It, that would have been a heck of a conversation. Zimmer 0-11 in playoffs since 1996. Obviously, as a head coach, an assistant with the Cowboys and with Marvis Lewis, as Faz calls him, and the Bengals. So you could say, oh, well, it's not his fault. Well, I don't know. All right? So, Faz, how do you handicap the coaching? I give Zimmer an edge. I like both coaches. You know, uh, I rated Zimmer the number two coach overall, but that might be a regular season rating. You bring up a good point with all those playoff failings that and the lack of experience that I need to lower him. Of course, Peterson doesn't have that playoff experience either. But, you know, one thing I really like about the, you know, what Peterson does is he's got these analytic guys, Ivy League guys that are telling him when to go for it and the decisions to make, and they're aggressive. And I certainly like that quite a bit from, bit from any coaching staff. Well, keep in mind, too, with the Philly coach is you've got Mike Lombardi, uh, former GM with the Browns, right-hand man for Belichick for a while, uh, part of the Ringer network. And he was saying that th this Philly coach is as bad as any coach in the league, like the whole year. And then he kind of did... Uh, what Mia Culpa, as they say, saying, well, you know, you want a playoff game. You know, I can't, I, you know, I've got to back off a little bit. But, you know, how much of that is him genuinely backing off? And how much of that is that, hey, I'm getting so much heat and it, it doesn't feel like it's really defensible. So I want to stop this conversation. And the irony is, is that, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he's the only recent new head coach that has succeeded in the NFL the last couple of years. Well, McVeigh. I mean, oh, what do yeah, we call success? Yeah, yeah. Right? McVeigh has been very, very good, obviously. But you know, just being candid about Zimmer, Maddie. I don't know if you heard this one. I um, I don't even think I tweeted this one yet. If you go back to Zimmer's first game as a coach, and you said, you know, I like the cut of his jib. I mean, look at the success with the Bengals. I'm going to bet blindly on the Vikings every game. In four years, now this is not counting last week, which again we can. Talk about the, the sports book ramifications of that in a second. 44, 19, and two against the spread. Four years, 70%. The best, second best team, the Pats, are like 62%. I mean, the idea that a guy is 44 and 19 against the spread, you've got to, you know, that's by definition expectation. You've got to be super impressed. But then in the playoffs, you've got to wonder because he's now one and 10. So how do you, let's start with Zimmer. Uh, I, I think Zimmer is a great coach, but we've seen a lot of great regular season coaches that don't have great playoff success. Andy Reid and it's a list Marvin Lewis, who is his former head coach that he was an assistant to. So um, I certainly think he's accomplished a lot of things. And I, I actually like Zimmer as a head coach, but I certainly I'm not sure that I give them the advantage in the coaching matchup here. I'm actually a big Doug Peterson fan. Really? Yes. And, and one of the reasons. So think of you know, their offense this year and how bad they struggled the last few games scoring with Foles, they still ended up number two in red zone scoring percentage. And that takes a little creativity. We all look at yards per play, look at the Atlanta Falcons early in the year. 
they still had no trouble moving the ball between the 20s and they couldn't score touchdowns. Sometimes that's where that coach helps calling those plays down there. They were number one in the NFL in red zone scoring percentage before Wentz went out, still finished number two scoring touchdowns in the red zone almost 65% of the time. You know, back to what Maddie was saying, third down, they're in the red zone, they're on the two, the Eagles are driving, they fumble, it could be a disaster, they recover it, they're on the half-yard line. How often do you see the announcers debate, should they go for it? And oftentimes, oh, you got to put points on the board, especially to start a game. Nope, immediate decision, we're going for it. That's the type of coach that I like to bet on. I remember the one Super Bowl I attended. Tomlin was in that exact situation against the Cardinals and kicked the field goal. By the way, I'm going to read a tweet of mine without editorial comment. It could be a year from now, maybe two, but soon Steelers fans will feel the futility of coaching this bad without the crutch of a Hall of Fame quarterback. 427 retweets. A lot of people agree with that. One has to wonder how long I'd have to try to type to get something that sounded half as good as that. <laughs> well, I don't own a mansion and a yacht either. So what do you think? of Tom? I mean, I don't want to get off on this. It's like he's so I mean, you can make the case. He's a great motivator. He's great in the press conferences, right? If I was starting a, you know, a Friday night lights, but it was like Sunday night lights for the NFL. I'd want Tomlin to play the coach. That'd be awesome. But behind the counter, Maddie, what's your assessment? From an X's and O's standpoint, he's constantly been criticized as one of the worst coaches in the league. And he's a player's coach. Most of the players that play for him like him. Although we've seen in recent years, some of the players even coming out. Well, Big Ben, I think. That's right. I mean, Big Ben straight up. Your, your star Hall of Fame quarterback is questioning your ability to actually coach a team on the field, not in practice, not during the week, not manage the locker room, coach the team on the field. And we saw it again this weekend. Who doesn't kick the ball off deep there with over two minutes to play and two timeouts in their pocket against Blake Bortles and the Jacksonville Jaguars? You know, we can debate that one. But to me, what's even more egregious is how bad they come out. I mean, David DeCastro. Now, listen, we could say, okay, he's from Stanford, so we're going to exalt him. But... To me, a hardworking, you know, that's the kind of stealer I like is he's saying this team's obsessed with the Patriots and and, it, and it's a joke. Like, like they're, t- you know, you're, you're playing in the division playoffs, win the game, you know, before you start worrying about the next game. You got a big six five two seventy quarterback might want to run a sneak once a year with them, especially in key situations. Speaking of behind the counter, Maddie, were you in the book when the Minnesota a play happened. I was at home, but I imagine that my CEO's cheering was so loud that I felt it from my house. <laughs> so this uh, this was my tw- uh, two tweets on this, and you can tell me if you, if CG Technology, your vice president there, if the action agreed with this. So my first tweet: million swing. If Vikings kick and make extra point, nearly every Minnesota better wins. Kneeling resulted in most Minnesota betters losing. Um, I think that's, if you just look at line movements, that's pretty undebatable there at six, almost all Minnesota, you know, not that there weren't a few, some action at six, but most mini betters win. And then looking at pregame.com, you go to the game center and you can see the cash splits on every game. We had, you know, I'll be interested in this because we always talk about how much our action is with our sources compared to yours. We had 1.98 million. So just a smidge below 2 million on the game. What was your action on the game? 
Uh, really close to that, actually. See, it seems like yeah. it's almost always. We were like 1.65, yeah. not inclu- including parlays and teasers. Now, parlays and teasers, you could normally in your head add about 25%. In the playoffs, it's about 35 So maybe we're a little over that, too. But not by a ton. It's within the same like ten percent variable there, and we're not, we're actually not counting parlay. We're just side total money line on that count. So oh, so we're ours right too range. was like yeah, one point yeah. six seven or something. So we had. Oh, I'm sorry, Faz, you had something real quick. Well, this is why you got to listen to the Dream Pod on Thursday and not on Sunday morning because we talked about how that Viking line was light, and when we did the Dream Pod, it was four back then. I mean, who's going to argue with a guy with a mansion and a yacht, right? You just two super contests and a mansion and a yacht. You just say yes. And game of the year winner with the Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> oh, we're going to talk about that. So, Maddie, our split, and you get the cash split, the only place on the internet for free, up at pregame.com, 63% of the cash on the Vi- – oh, I'm sorry, check, on the Saints, on the Saints. So it's On the a- spread bets? Yes, uh, no, that wasn't so on spread bets. We were overwhelmingly one-sided on Minnesota, but on really? money line bets, yeah, we needed the Saints bad to cover the spread. Oh, okay, but on money line bets, we were completely one-sided on the New Orleans Saints money line. So it had one of those Super Bowl mm. feels. They bet the crap out of the underdog on the money line. They laid the points. That's why Minnesota went from four to six on the spread was because they were laying it with Minnesota on the spread and they were taking the big plus money with the Saints on the money line. Saints winning the game outright was going to be a disaster for us. Minnesota covering, but I mean, winning, but not covering was the absolute best result for us. And it got home. And I think in general, um, the, uh, they, and now again, you guys take big, big bets, but when you get this deep in the playoffs, it's still mostly public money, right? When you, at the end. Yeah. We didn't take any bets over hundred K our biggest bet in the game was hundred K. So I think in general, Vegas, over-the-counter type betting is going to be a lot squarer than anything online. So it kind of makes sense that there's more Minnesota there, I think. So, yeah, I, I felt, in fact, let's talk about it. You know, we have a new rule here. There's a moratorium, a moratorium on any bad beat stories from you for, for let's say, till the start of next football at the soonest. I think that's very fair. <laughs> Somewhat fortunate to get there with the Vikings last week. Somewhat fortunate, he says. I mean, how were you watching it? I was. And you had the money line. I did. And it was a big release up at the site. You've had a great football season. What's your record this football? 61% for the year. And I, I gave out early in the week at the Vikings minus the 190 on the money line. So we got a good number. But you know what? In order to cash, a good number does you no good. You got to win the game. So how how did it feel? Not going to lie, RJ. Felt good. <laughs> felt damn good. Now, were you, like, were you, how, how upset? Like, there must have been a big swing of emotions because even when the Vikings kicked the field goal, you're not. Well, Jesus you Christ, why aren't they running clock? Don't they know they're going to lose if they just kick a field goal here? Come on, Zimmer. <laughs> now that we got to get a film crew but you just never know when there's going to be this kind of result right very rarely does he get that animated <laughs> only when he does his macho man imitation all right let's keep that it. was actually really good it was yeah. was it i might have if you want you can have him do your twitter read so it sounds like you actually, man that you actually have a celebrity doing except that. that randy savage has passed on <laughs> well but you uh, who's the doing ghost the math? of randy savage <laughs> <laughs> who's doing the math 
Okay, let's keep moving here. Situationally in this game. So what situations? Uh, the point of the season. Hey, it's the playoffs, for example. Is any team flat? Potentially the Vikings off that amazing win. Rest, travel. Let's go back and forth again. We'll start with you, Maddie. What is the biggest situational factor in this game? Minnesota coming off that high, literally. I mean, I heard multiple times still Tuesday morning, Case Keenum on the radio, announcers asking him, have you got any sleep this week? He goes, I still haven't gotten more than two hours straight yet. At some point, you got to get back to practice. you got to recharge, and you got to get ready for a game. It's hard to to come back from such the, the most amazing high ever to to have to recharge that quick. I think that situation really benefits the Philadelphia Eagles here. Agree or disagree? Agree strongly. And I also think that the situation, while it does not favor Minnesota, it greatly favors the Eagles. Let's think about it. Disrespected, number one seed, three-point underdog at home. Correct me if I'm wrong. We got the same situation going this week as we had last week. Like those dog masks. The dog masks are coming out. Again, you know what? If you order them on eBay, you don't get them till February 9th. They're out of stock. <laughs> Is that true? Yes. Wow. Well, I guess the hardcore fans have them already, though. You know, you think about it. For those that have seen the movie um, Silver Linings Playbook, you know, it's an example in Philadelphia. Have you seen that, Matt? I don't think I have. It's it's a g- really good movie, but uh, Robert De Niro plays like a, a dad. You know, he's 63 or whatever, and he loves the Eagles so much. He'll sit there. And if the, if the wife is walking and there's a bad play, he'll start yelling at her for, you know, jinxing. And he's got his little trinkets there situated a certain way after they score. And he keeps them there, you know. So I can't lie. Back in my fever pitch of the Steeler days is my wife would, would stay away for the most part. But if she'd walk by and there was a bad play, I wouldn't, I'd look and I'd get this really mean look on my face. And she's like, that's it. I'm I'm just staying upstairs or I'm going out. I think a lot of people might be judging me right now. And a lot of people are are nodding right now. (laughs) I think there's probably some combination out there. But those Steeler days, Tomlin took care of that. Now it's, uh, all right. Do you agree the Eagles benefit, Maddie, from the dog roll, the repeat of last week? Everything. I think it's a combination. We talked about diverging paths here. We have one team as fired up as could be the to the Fez's point, feel disrespected. They've embraced that role as underdog as well as we've seen any team really embrace that role. And on the other side, you have a team coming off this unbelievable momentous high that if the facts are true, Case Keenum probably hasn't been getting his normal rest, his normal recharge. Uh, yeah, I think that really the situational here definitely favors Philly any in a other, big, big way. Any other situational rest, weather. I mean, we talked a little about we're taping on Wednesday, not as big as the factors we expected. You know, one factor I wanted to bring up was the home field. We touched upon it, the Eagles home field. But what's the flip side? What's the disadvantage of the road team? You know, the Vikings, they're a little bit phony. I dug into their schedule. They only had seven road games This year, RJ, you know that because when they played Cleveland in London, that was one of your biggest bets of the year, betting the Vikings on that neutral site. So in their seven true road games, they've actually only outscored their opponents on an average by two points per game. So let's summarize this. When they play on the road, they are two points better than an average football team. That is not good enough to beat the Eagles. And that includes the ill-fated Hunley game in Green Bay. They won 16 to nothing where Hunley looked like a high school quarterback. So Steelers beat him 26-9. 
Minnesota on the road beat Washington 38-30. Minnesota on the road beat Detroit 30-23. Minnesota on the road beat Atlanta 14-9. That's a nice win. Minnesota on the road beat Car- or lost to Carolina 31-24. So I look at that margin and I'm thinking, wow, that's a Pittsburgh, Washington, Detroit, Atlanta, Carolina is a hellacious seven games. Yeah, but those are those are their five games against good opponents, and they got outscored by four points. I excluded you excluded the win against the Bears at Chicago by three, and the win against and Green Bay by sixteen. Okay, so Chicago. So I looked Green at Bay. the five yeah. games where they were comparable, playing you know playoff type teams, and that include teams that were you know Washington and Detroit that didn't make the playoffs. And Minnesota has an underrated home field too, which I mean, there's a there's a other side of the coin element when you have an underrated home field, where you're usually um, you're overrated on the road because people don't realize the advantage you've got at home in those games. Exactly. And think about that final pass to Diggs. That's the type of pass that a dome team completes, the precision that's required to hit that pass. You don't complete a pass like that in a bad, choppy field conditions. Okay. Good stuff. And weather, we're not overly worried about. 40s, seven mile an hour wind. Yeah. Next one, trends, trends. Now I'm going to start with the trends. I've got, um, I did some more analysis in the conference championship games. So favorites in conference championship games since 1978, 44 and 32 against the spread. So 58% just playing the favorites, 44 winners, 32 losers. I think that makes some sense to me because you know, you've got max motivation and you know that you've got an elite, at least one elite team. So, you know, we, we're going to talk in the Patriots game about how the playoffs, how double digit favorites now, you know, it's, it's on the cusp of that, but double digit favorites have covered eight in a row now in the NFL playoffs. Cause again, you don't have to question favorites motivation. So in general, though, it's a smallish favorite. I, I, you know, I do like that now road favorite. Now this is interesting is with home, Underdogs, home underdogs in the first two rounds of the playoffs are exceptional. And I'll pull up those exact numbers. But in the conference championships, home underdogs are six and eight against the spread. So now we can say, you know, I'm not sure what that all means because it's you know only 14 games. But just to be clear, in the first two rounds of the playoffs, home underdogs are 29 and one against the spread. 20 winners, nine losers. One push against the spread. Conference championship round six and eight against the spread. That's home underdogs. Okay. Any other trends, systems, anything we want to be looking at here? Nothing. Okay. Next one. Market signals. All right, Maddie, you've got the biggest VP at the biggest bookmaker in Nevada. As of Wednesday afternoon, we've got the numbers. Give them to us on this mini game. So as of right now, three times more dollars wagered over the counter on the Minnesota Vikings. No surprise there. We expect to get the public money on the Vikings. They're riding that high. Everybody is talking about them. One of the things that's interesting about this game that we don't talk about a lot is when you start getting to the conference championships and and the Super Bowl, not just the Super Bowl, but conference championships as well, you get people that haven't made a bet all year to make a bet. And why would someone come out and bet one of these teams this week? 
because everyone they heard at work is talking about the Minnesota Vikings. Did you see the Vikings game? Oh, my God, did you see that play? Now someone who may not have made a bet otherwise but is going to this weekend, they go to the book to bet their $20, $40, $50. It ends up on the Minnesota Vikings. I expect that we may see more public action on the Vikings than we thought. I thought this was going to be a huge pros versus Joe's scenario, and most of the sharps are on the Eagles, but we took a 25K bet from a fairly sharp guy today who doesn't always give me the most insight, but he's always happy to talk. And I said, why are you on the Vikes? It seems like all the sharps are on the Eagles. He said, simple. Atlanta was minus three last week, and Minnesota's better. I said, all right, thanks. That was my first thought, too, to be honest with you. Um, And again, I'm probably moving towards leaning to the Eagles because I do think that win for Foles is is a big upgrade. But I agree. I, I think the Vikings are much better than Atlanta. The question is how much better. is If you guys are right, that Philly only up, got upgraded a half a point in your mind, I don't see how the, you like Philly here because the Vikings are significantly better than the Falcons. Well, how much better are you going to make the Vikings? And here's the problem. If you make the, the Vikings too high, how good are the Patriots? But you've got them two points better in your power ratings. Than Atlanta? Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'm, so the I'm line, comfortable so three with that. becomes five. Well, the three was just a mistake. The three uh, was clear. If we went back in our time machine and said, let's replay that game, what are we going to make that line? Probably Atlanta won. Yeah. But I agree. But again, I mean, it, it, yeah, you're, it's complicated. You're right about that. Um, so, really, what I'm hearing is in general, pros on Eagles, Joes on Vikings, you think. And I think that whole idea, oh, they're a team of destiny. I think the public thinks like that. I think you'll get a lot of Minnesota action. But like you said, it's not all sharps on Philly. There's some sharp action on on many also. Yeah, I think the sharp action, while it's definitely going to favor Philly, is going to be more split than people think. And I think this line may head back to three and a half, and it could be the public driving it come Sunday. And I'm confident it's staying right on the three. But what I think is going to happen is that the sharp books, the pinnacles of the world, if you like the Vikings, I think you're going to get minus three, like lay 102. But in Vegas. So you think it's actually going to get down where it's it's like 2.9 is the line? At the sharp books, like pinnacle. But in the Vegas books, I agree with Maddie. I think it's going to be like 3.2. You're going to see a lot of minus three, lay a dollar 20. Yeah at the stations, at the coast type of properties. And remember, guys, when we talk about market signals, there's things like line moves, and we've talked, it's gone from three and a half to three. There's things like we call it the penny lean. If pinnacle's one way and the square shops are the other, then it's telling you something. So right now, and and again, it, this is up at pregame.com in the game center, and this is Wednesday late afternoon. It's Vikings minus three, minus 102 right now. And right now at a Bova or a sportsbook.ag, it's minus three, minus 115. Looking in Vegas um, at the coast, it's minus three, minus 115 on the Vikings. So really what you're predicting is happening right now. So do you think it keeps going in, the, in, the, in those that, that disparity grows? Or? Yeah, absolutely. I think it magnifies because the public is going to storm the windows at properties like that. And frankly, it's difficult to get down last minute. You can't do it on the apps because the limits on the apps in town are very low. you got to physically be except there. CG. Except for CG, yeah. And you have to physically be there to bet. And let's face it, there's long lines right before kickoff. It's no lock. You can even get through the line or have um, you know your brother or whoever bet, bet the game for you. It's no messenger betting in Vegas. No. I mean, a guy like you, it's all... Peace and love. Peace and love. Peace and love. No messenger betting from Faz. Come on. All right. <laughs> wink, wink. 
Let's see here. Let's talk consensus. So you go up to pregame.com, go to Game Center, go to consensus. As of now, 292,000 in action. Uh, so about one tenth, uh, yeah, probably one tenth of what it will be. Maybe a little bit more than that. 65% of the cash on the Eagles, 51% of the tickets on the Vikings. So more of the smaller bets on. And again, it's pretty much what we're talking yeah. about. And it's only going to get bigger. You're going to see the ticket count be a lot higher than 51% on Minnesota, and the cash probably be a lot higher than 60% on Philly. Last topic, when and how to bet. So if you were going to make one bet on this, Maddie, could be a prop, it could be anything, what, what is it? I know that totals under 40 have performed so badly, but I, I, I think these defenses in here pretty much neutralize each other a lot. And I... Uh, and I didn't bring the prop sheet, so I'm just going to take the under 38 and a half. So not, you might be able to tell from his tone, I wouldn't feel like there's too much confidence on that one, <laughs> but there is a lean that way. Fez, what, what's your what's your number one uh, right now? Again, it's early. I, I think because both the games went over last week, Brad Powers, very unlucky to lose his under. You could ask oh him about God. that. Uh, we don't want to hear any the, more On the New England Patriots. Him. But because, think about it, you, you very uh, small sample. <laughs> Brad's new theme On, on yeah. Sunday... Two games go over the total. So what the, What does the public just see? High scoring, especially that Jacksonville-Pittsburgh game. What are they going to want to bet? They're going to want to bet over in these games. I agree with Maddie. Both these teams are looking at this and saying, you know what? Let's not mess this up. Let's not turn the ball over. Let's protect the ball. I expect it to be very conservative. So along with Maddie's under 38 and a half, which I agree with, I think you can go under 19 in the first half and under seven and a half for the first quarter. Throw a unit on all of them. I expect it to be three nothing at the end of the first quarter. Okay, guys. Game one over. Boys are going to stretch your legs. We got one and only one commercial break, and we're back with the Patriots. Okay, podcast one, they do millions and millions of dollars of advertising. We, or they accept millions and millions. And we are part of the podcast one family with Adam Carolla and Bet DSI is an advertiser with podcast one. They've been in business over 20 years paying winners, A plus rated on the review sites. And listen, one of the things we stress is, if you can get a good solid extra out, it helps you win as much as anything. That extra out where you can, let's say in the Vikings game, be laying five instead of five and a half, it can make all the difference. They've got an easy to use mobile playing interface and bet DSI offers during the football, you know, odds on everything, the props, the live in game betting. And then even beyond the football, the other major sports, politics, reality, TV, use promo code DREAM25 and get $25 free wager just for registering. And if you decide to deposit, you get a 200% bonus match on your money. I personally know multiple people who play and recommend that DSI. So go to betdsi.com and use promo code DREAM25 and get a free $25 wager on the house and 200 extra bonus, a 200% extra bonus, even better when you deposit. That's DREAM25 to get your free wager and start playing today. Also, a sponsor with Podcast One, True Car. 
Here are some useful car tips you might not be aware of. A coffee filter and a little bit of olive oil can clean your interior. I'm never going to try that personally, but okay. Removing excess weight from your car will improve gas mileage. Okay, so I guess what they're saying is they don't want any carpooling. Well, I don't think so, but... And you can place your key fob on your chin to increase its range. Weird, right? Well, here's another tip for you you might not know about. True Car also helps people get used cars. That's right. True Car isn't just providing new cars. With their certified dealer network and nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million, 1 million used cars, you'll enjoy real pricing and actual inventory and a simpler buying experience, whether you buy new or used. With True Car, users can see what others paid so they know if they're getting a good deal before buying. They're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience by connecting with True Car certified dealers. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, check out True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Uh oh, small print at the bottom. Some features not available in all states, but listen, check on it. If it's available in your state, you're getting all of the benefits of True Car. Next game, second game, Pats, Jags. Oh, those Jags. Listen, I'll be honest with you, though. It felt like I had the almanac from Back to the Future, right? Had Eagles best bet last week and Jags money line. How do you do better than that, Fez? Plus 280. I just don't know why you didn't parlay them together. I got a lot of love. I'll give you, I'll give Twitter credit. And especially, um, I think we've gotten a better class of Twitter followers with our dream preview listeners. Because when we lose, they're not happy. But when we win, you get a ton of love. I mean, we all do. Maddie, not as much because he misses weeks here and again. But <laughs> but the consistent ones, Fez, like you and I, and again, you you did miss the one week when you had the, the, the phantom cough. Remember that? Yeah, but that was college, not NFL. And people know my absolute best sport is the NFL. So you're admitting that it was a fake cough. It was a little under the weather. <laughs> All right, let's go through our 11 factors a little quicker this time because we've gone through the concepts first. So recent game, Jags, obviously, Pats, obviously, both very impressive. Takeaways, Matty. Yeah, New England, to me, they're the epitome of what a team does when they're up two scores. They just keep pounding on you. They never stop. Up 28-7 in the fourth quarter, throwing the football. And that is why people have confidence in laying big numbers with the New England Patriots. Because, you know, they're not going into the prevent and handing the ball off every play as soon as they get up two scores. I thought that was a nice, friendly reminder last week. Jacksonville, to me, it's the same old, same old. What a great front runner. But think of this stat, the number one team in the entire NFL in terms of red zone touchdown scoring percentage is the Jacksonville Jaguars this year. I mean, they've done an unbelievable job when they actually do get down there of scoring touchdowns. They just don't get that. You know, they're average in in terms of how many times they do get down there. But when they get down there, they punch the ball in. Well, listen, we talked about this last week. Very applicable this week. Blake Bortles with the lead, passer rating 103, trailing, passer rating 66. And one thing Belichick and Lombardi talks about this, 
He likes to make you play left-handed. He is going to take away the thing you like best. Can you win with your second thing? And people might say, well, why doesn't everyone do that? Because if you do that, sometimes to take away that best, you've got a double team or, and then you're leaving yourself exposed. But Belichick believes, uh, and again, this is from books, this is from Lombardi. I, I don't know Mr. Belichick, but it seems that Belichick believes very few teams can win left-handed as he likes to call it. And, you know, you saw him do that to the Rams and that in really that first great coach, we forget, or at least we don't think that much about that Rams win as a, what, 14 point dog in that yeah, game. Historic win. I mean, that was a, he took away, you know, the greatest show on turf. Marshall Falk. He neutralized Marshall Falk in that game. He will make you, he will make Blake Bortles beat the Pats. And that's not a bet I want. Fez, we're talking most recent game. Yep. And by the way, I'm, You've started drinking full sugar Mountain Dew to pick up during these pods, and I think it shows. I'm having one right now. Beautiful. We're going to bring a beer maybe for the Super Bowl. No, though. we don't want that. Maybe at the very end. We don't do any editing, so we wouldn't want that. We will. Yes, we would not <laughs> want that. We're, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Not alcoholic beer, of course. So some Oduls, I believe. Um, oh my God! If I listen, the only people a drink Oduls can beat me up. I am Elma J. Foot, millionaire. <laughs> I own a mansion and a yacht. <laughs> We saw Brady and company zing the ball for four quarters against the Titans pursuant to what Maddie says. This is why the Patriots are, it's fine to lay double digits with them, to lay nine points with them. Tom Brady has six playoff wins where he has completed 50 or more passes. Every other quarterback in the NFL, maximum of one. So it shows the Belichick and the Patriot philosophy step on their throats when you got them down. To me, it's a situation, it really lends itself to favorites covering. So, Maddie, I, I don't think we've talked about this. Have you seen, no, I think we did last week, is you're saying, yeah, batters are, the best batters will lay it more, but but not in any extreme way where, like, they're always laying the favorite No, yeah. in the playoffs, but more than the regular season. Yes. Okay, so what do we think about the Jags? Was there anything in that game, I mean, Bortles put up a bunch of points, so... I mean, is there anything in that game that 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 makes us really upgrade the Jags, or was it more what the pit? You know, Faz, you upgraded in one point. Was it more what Pittsburgh didn't do, or was it more what Jacksonville did? It was all about Blake Bortles. I could not believe he played that good a game, but I'm not willing to upgrade him more than a point because he's still Blake Bortles, and it's still a one data point. He played a great game, but let's face it, probably the Steelers didn't have the right schematics. That um, and couldn't make the right adjustments to slow him down. You know the Patriots will be able to do that. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I agree with that for sure. But but he surprised you a good bit in that game. Oh, a great bit. I was. I frankly, I was shocked. What about you, man? Uh, I, I look. I'm I'm one of those guys that always says, you know, don't let your eyes fool you on. You know, don't bet. No team is as good as how good or how bad they looked last week. And I didn't surely forget the performance the week before 87 yards passing for Blake Bortles and only crossed the 50 once in the entire first half. So say that's that again. He had 87 passing yards against the Buffalo Bills and oh. Jacksonville crossed the 50 once the entire first half. So that's very different than putting up 40 some points. So, is so it, I didn't upgrade it. Look, I'm not going to upgrade Blake Bortles off one impressive performance for a team that's been a front runner all year. But I thought the one friendly reminder in that Pittsburgh game is, you know, they got those advantageous situations early in the game is that when they get in the red zone, they do cash in touchdowns. And the stats say that number one in the NFL punching the ball in the end zone 
once they get in the red zone. All right, Faz, let's just do the power ratings math. What is the power rating on this game, the the spread difference? Yeah, so on a neutral would be five. New England's five points better. We give them three for home field. That brings it up to eight. Probably give them an extra point for the experience of a conference championship. Hey, they've been to seven straight. That gets us to nine. That's what the spread is. All right, so right now, power ratings is right on the spread. Yes. All right, injuries. We I think we kind of touched on both games. Any injuries that interest you, Faz? Yeah, you know, well, Brady, we're taping on Wednesday here, and Brady did have to leave practice. His He hit his um, hand, apparently, on a helmet. X-rays were negative, so everything looks all right. Let's keep an eye on that. That just happened. You know, Fournette, I want to talk about Fournette. He's been banged up all year long, missed a few games. He had some monster games early in the year. Since week six, he had not had one game where he averaged more than 4.2 yards per carry, which would be considered an above average game for a running back. He had one last week against the Steelers, but I think he is not at 100%. And I think as a rookie, the wear and tear of playing 14 games has taken a little bit of a toll on him and he's gotten banged up. Yeah. I mean, he was banged up in the game last week and by just the eye test, it didn't seem like he was playing as well in the second half. So, I mean, do we, is that just kind of an afterthought or, I mean, that feels like a major factor, doesn't it? You know what? A TJ Yeldon's running the ball well and and Fournette's been able to play through this so much that it's hard to really quantify how, what percentage of Fournette you're getting at this point. I think the biggest key injury, a lot of people are saying is Rex Burkhead coming back. Look, the Patriots may have a loaded backfield, but James White and Dion Lewis are more scat backs, catch the ball out of the backfield kind of guys. Mike gillisey has been banged up. Brandon Bolden can can carry some of those power carries, but he's not exactly great at him. Burkhead gives him another option that maybe they were missing third and fourth and short power run that football. I, I agree strongly with that. So many options for New England. I really don't think, I don't think Yeldon is an option for uh, Jacksonville. Fournette, 21 carries against um, in, the, in their first playoff game, 25 carries against the Steelers. I think the sell sign is blinking in terms of prop bets fade Fournette in this game. No, I would agree because the whole idea is if Belichick is making you play left-handed, he's going to stop the run, right? And if they're down, they're going to run the ball less in theory. Okay, um, let's talk home field advantage. So we've debated this, Fez, where the Pats are as tough as anyone at home, but they're very good on the road too. So the question is, how much advantage do they get because home field advantage is relative to the road. If you're the very best team on the road and the very best team at home, you could have a home field advantage of zero, right? Even though you're the best team in both spots. So where do you get the the pats with home field? Home field's three, but I think you do have to bump it up here just because they've been home since week 16. They got to host Buffalo and Miami. So they've been home since Christmas. Very rested team. And you got so it'll be over a month once this game is played. Exactly. So you got... You know, the Jags traveling again, traveling up north again after going back to Florida, having gone to Pittsburgh. That's a bad travel spot for one team and a great travel spot situation for the Patriots. Yeah, and we'll be talking about in the situational section, the travel. But in general, though, I think the Pats could be deceiving if you see how good their home record is. But I think a normal home field is fair because they're so good on the road also. And thus, how good they are in general is built into the power rating and then the home field advantage is on top of that. Okay, let's talk about... But, and don't forget that part of their home field advantage built in, especially this time of year, the last few years, has been the anticipation of bad weather in New England. Although we're not going to... We don't expect to get that this weekend. 
And well, you know, that's the thing in Jacksonville. On one hand, they're a warm weather team, a Florida team. On the other hand, they play football like a cold weather team. So I, I mean, obviously if it was really cold, I think it'd be a problem, but you know, not, not being really cold. I don't see the weather being any or worse. snow huh? or snow. Oh yeah. Brady tends to play amazing in the snow. Yeah, that's true. Especially the, the really deep snow yes. <laughs> and get week 16 and 17 when there's nothing at stake, they put up 50 in those types. Okay. Common opponents, prior matchups. Now these teams did play in the first game of the preseason. Probably not much to gather there, but I was looking at the schedules. The fact that the Jaguars won that game straight up is probably a negative for Jacksonville. If you ask me, Belichick absolutely hates to lose. If he can find any reason or any motivation, he'll absolutely utilize it. Um, yo, yeah. No, oh, so you're saying it doesn't make Jacksonville confident. You're saying it makes Brady just even more motivated to fix the things that went wrong in that first preseason game. I think the one common opponent that we could look at that's interesting here, and maybe it's just a bad matchup for Pittsburgh, but Jacksonville's defense sure confused big Ben and the Steelers at both meetings this year, causing critical turnovers, five interceptions, obviously in the first game, big Ben throwing another pick in the first half in the second game. Patriots aren't able to get those turnovers really as much off Big Ben. Uh, it's interesting that Jacksonville was able to both times on the road this year. Well, some of that's looking ahead too, probably right. Were, were, they, mean, were they looking ahead the first time? I mean, maybe. Yeah, it was. Well, but I'm after no, you throw five picks again, can you ever look ahead against the team that you threw five? Well, picks I don't know against? if the Big Ben did, but there's more. Yeah. you know, Big. I tell you this: Big Ben made probably four throws. That there's only six or seven people on the planet could make. I mean, we can talk. He's he did getting older, great, yeah. But he made a couple of plays. There's hardly anyone in the world that can play do once. Forget multiple times in a game. You know, let's talk the Bills because the Patriots never have a problem moving the ball against that Bills defense. And Blake Bortles and company struggled so mightily against the, that Buffalo Bills defense. We got to bring that up. Got to bring what up. The fact that a team that the Patriots, a defense the Patriots always shred, shred, was able to stop Jacksonville cold in the playoffs, the Buffalo Bills. But you're the one that was making the point about how the the wind was so bad and, and you got to th- pretty much throw that game out. Uh, no, I said the wind was 20 miles an hour. I, I don't throw the game out. The fact that Bortles is unable. So 20 miles an hour is, I mean, in a given NFL Sunday, the, the, the stiffest winds like an average of 14 miles an hour. Like that's the war. If you go down the, the weather report, usually 13, 14, 15s, the windiest game, even at the end of the year. Oh, I would think on average there's one game that's like 20 miles an hour. All right, so this yep. is so you're saying that was the worst game in a given full schedule end of the year. It wasn't a monsoon. What I'm saying <laughs> is that Blake Bortles, so that's the bar now. Blake Bortles. And this goes back to what you're saying, RJ. Blake Bortles does not handle adversity well. You throw right. adversity at the man, and he crumbles like three day old cake. No, I agree with that, and, and that brings up the idea of, of again Belichick. Let's talk player matchup. Same concept. Let's go, Maddie first. What is the 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 position group or player matchup that you think is most impactful? Well, I think the Jacksonville Jaguars, with that amazing secondary this year, have done a great job at actually shutting down receivers. But what they haven't done a great job, and we saw it again last week, Vance McDonald, 10 catches, 115 yards or something, is they don't necessarily do the best job at shutting down the tight end. Vance McDonald probably shouldn't have 10 catches in a buck against you. What's Gronk going to do tomorrow or Sunday? 
Agree or disagree on that? Fact? Agree. And I think that the Jacksonville defense is not the type of defense that gives the Patriots as much trouble as, say, a Minnesota Viking defense, a completely well-rounded defense that can put Brady on his butt is the biggest problem. But a defense that's got uh, a great pass rush, a great secondary, not so good against the run, that has weaknesses, Belichick is the master at exploiting that. Look for a lot more running. He exploited the Titans' lack of pass defense by throwing 30 pass attempts plus in the first half. I think you're going to see a lot more running and a lot more very short passes to neutralize that Jacksonville great pass rush. See, but aren't you a little outdated with the Jags against the run? We talked about this last week. First four games of the season, they yielded 5.7 yards per carry. Is in the second half of the season, after they got Marcel Darius, 3.69. So seventh lowest in the NFL. So, so what Maddie was just talking about, you know, Philly's rush D and all that. It's like exactly the same during the second half of the season. So look for a whole lot of um, horizontal passing game to James White, to uh, to Deion Lewis, to um, to Gronk over the middle. He, They will absolutely game plan to take advantage of what Jacksonville will give them. Uh, I agree. But I mean, are we sure it's going to be the run? I mean, because when you're saying that it's going to be the run... I'm going to say it's going to be the running backs that he's okay. going to get the ball to the running backs and maybe he's going to have to throw to do that. Uh, any other player matchups, any other unit matchups? No, I'm not really. All right. Coaching. All right. Now let's start Belichick's best ever Belichick in the playoffs. I mean, is it that simple? I mean, I, Jack's the Jack's coach seems to have some respect. So we know that he's the, that Belichick's the best. It's like, where do we put the Jack's coach? You know, I would like to go back. Cause I'm always fascinated by teams that have like really high. We just talked about Jacksonville being number one in the NFL and red zones, touchdown scoring percentage. I'd like to go back and see what he was at Buffalo with that. Like when they got the ball down there, was he good at game planning, running plays in, in a tighter space and stuff? Um, I think I think actually Marone's done a really good job with this squad on both sides of the ball. I mean, they know they have disadvantages at the quarterback position with Blake Bortles, and he's yet despite the fact that they have Blake Bortles as a quarterback, they're still number six in the NFL, twenty six and a half points a game, and their yards per game aren't terrible. They're still top ten. You know, I think he's done a nice job of taking the advantages he has and really utilizing them. You know, I think that's a great point that we've often talked about. If you don't have a quarterback, I mean. You don't have you have a below average quarterback. You cannot make the playoffs. Jacksonville's one game away from the Super Bowl, and they don't have a quarterback. Well, but that brings up a macro point, and I find this to be unequivocally true: is if anyone except Tom Brady and the Pats win the Super Bowl this year, it will be the worst quarterback to win the Super Bowl in fifteen seasons. Go back to Brad Johnson. Right. Okay. We can debate that, but you know, based on who it is, but after that Flacco and Peyton Manning is last year is the only ones that aren't really good. And they're both clearly better than any of these quarterbacks in a in our case Keenum this year, but in any kind of career sense, I agree with that. Although I still am going to hold fast to the fact that Peyton Manning was a, he was a very much, he, I mean, case Keenum's way better this year. Peyton Manning, I think, what was it, like 11 touchdowns and 17 interceptions? Well, I don't it was want to horrendous. Debate that. Well, yeah, except they won the Super Bowl. 
and it's the only quote unquote bad quarterback to win it. Is it just a coincidence that it was Peyton Manning? Well, you the know, guy that, that his, knows when to call a draw on third and the, six. The play calling really maximized the rushing and the other aspects of the game. Plus, just the confidence the team has because they got Peyton Manning. You know, again, he, if only one time in 15 years, a bad quote unquote, bad statistical quarterback wins a Super Bowl, and it happens to be maybe the best quarterback of all time. Probably there's some correlation there. Right. So, but you're right in the statistics, Manning had a horrible year. Now here's what you got to realize. The ostrich Osweiler played really well enough to get a $50 million contract or whatever. And when he wasn't hurt, Manning replaced him when he got healthy. So Kubiak, a Super Bowl winning coach, said, I'd rather have Manning than the ostrich, even though Denver was willing to pay like $42 million or whatever. So they thought a lot of Osweiler. And I think they stuck with Manning a little bit too much during the regular season when he was injured. He was healthier in the Super Bowl than he was oftentimes during the middle of that year. Oh, and that's why they sat him, right? Absolutely. All right. I, I want to make a point about the coaching. I think that Belichick's greatest skill is his ability to take away your best um, approach to the game, your your best style of football, maybe, is the way to say it. And I think the disparity between Jacksonville running the ball and Jacksonville throwing the ball is probably one of the five biggest disparities. If you say, okay, take the, the run pass, the difference between a team's ability at one or the other. I think Jacksonville's difference where it's a drop off from the run to the pass is one of the five biggest drop. Well, they're number one in the NFL in terms of run play percentage. They they throw the ball the least in the NFL and they run the ball the most. That's the, the statistical fact. And when they do pass the ball, they're generally not great. So the point I'm saying is if history tells us anything, Belichick's going to take away the run which means if you're betting on Jacksonville, you're bl- betting on Blake Bortles. Agreed. And I think, you know, as far as a poor man's Jacksonville would be the Buffalo Bills. And New England always shuts down the Buffalo Bills and Tyrod Taylor. They put eight in the box and the Bills are unable to throw the ball. And I expect that they'll have a similar game plan here. Don't underestimate conspiracy theorists. Look out. The NFL wants New England in the Super Bowl. They do not want Jacksonville. That doesn't mean it's fixed or anything. But what it does mean, I think, is that they're going to let the New England cornerbacks get away with a little bit of aggressive um, defending of the wide receivers of Jacksonville. They don't want this to be a flag fest, and that's going to build right into put eight in the box and just stuff Fournette for the New England defense. Here's what I would say. I cannot remember a game in memory, and I'm talking 20 years. Now, maybe you guys can tell me one, that the NFL has more at stake between who wins a conference championship game. Because one, the drop-off between New England, let's say Minnesota or Philly, and I'm not sure there's a big difference. I think because Minnesota's home, it probably would be bad because that'd be a heck of a story, first team to play in their own stadium. But that's a close call, is the draw a Jacksonville Philadelphia Super Bowl. I mean, that's a Thursday night game. We wouldn't be all that interested in with Foles. I got free tickets for you in Min- in Minneapolis. You want to go, RJ? I, if it was if it was New England and and no, and if Minnesota, it's Jacksonville, uh, nah, probably not. <laughs> I, I'd go to Radio Row, so I'd probably do it. But the 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 point is, now you might say, yeah, it's one season. Who cares? But let's be candid. 
If you listen to guys like Richard Deitch or any of the media guys from Sports Illustrated, Richard Deitch, he has a good podcast. Uh, if you like the media stuff is the ratings are down. I think it was 9% this year. And if you look versus, and, and that was the theory was last year because of the Trump phenomenon that, oh, they were down last year because of that. But it's like 20% from two years ago. If no one's going to want to hear, oh, it was a bad matchup. If the Super Bowl drops like 15%, which you would have the ratings, which you'd have to think it would. And there was debate on this because it's such an event. Maybe it doesn't matter because you're at the party or whatever. Is if it drops 15%, that will be the biggest story of the season. So it maybe it, it wouldn't cost them all that money because of, I don't understand all the makeups with ads and all that, but it would be probably like a hundred million dollar negative PR story is, is how bad of a season this was for the NFL. Now, what does that mean? It means the same thing. I think it meant with, with silver or I'm sorry, check that with the NBA with Donahue or whatever, but that ear, I mean, with Stern is, if they wanted the home team to win and the home team was physical, they'd put in, you know, they got all the stats, right? Is uh, this guy tends to let the crowd affect him and he tends to call it loose. Thus the physical home team, he's the perfect ref for, I mean, do they look at new England and say, what do they want in an, in a, in an umpires and referees and put them in the game? I think so. And also think about the individual referees. Say I'm a referee. The last thing I do before I board a plane for this game, my wife kisses me goodbye, and she says, do your best, call all the plays as best you can, but if it's too close to call, whatever you do, don't throw the flag against Tom Brady if you don't. If you truly don't know. It should be your tiebreaker. Cause I don't like, think anyone. Who's saying that? My wife. Oh. Well, what, but why would that be? That's What's what it? I would do if I was a ref. If I truly didn't know whether it was holding or not, it was too close well, to why call. Why would your wife say why yeah, am I gonna you call, think Why it. am I going to call a penalty against the Patriots if I really am unclear or unsure about what, what the call is? But why call a penalty against anyone if you're unclear? I'll call it against the If it's 50-50, I'll call it against the Jaguars. Why? Because it, I could call it. I could not call it. Either way is correct. It's too close to call. So what's your motivation? My motivation is I'd like to work this game next year. And if I make, and if it turns oh, out. So you're saying you think there's pressure. The, the lead that they, you think that's what the boss wants. That mentality. I, I can make a type one error. I can make a mistake and call a penalty against the Jags. I can't make the type two error where I make an egregious bad call against the Patriots. But, the, you know, that is if you study like and again, I'm no authority on World War Two or whatever, but they often talk about, you know, the Nazis was an extreme case. But oftentimes people that participate in, in bad things and we're talking about really bad things now, obviously, they aren't always even told to do some of those things, but they think that's what the boss wants. Right. And and thus they do it. So it doesn't take an explicit, uh, you know, hey, we want you to be corrupt in this game, right? Because then you're risking billions of dollars. But it's like, hey, I think the boss wants this. And even if it's subconscious, it might affect you. So, Maddie, you're pretty much a no-nonsense guy with this stuff. Does the fact the NFL has more at stake in this game than any game in memory affect you at all in your handicap? Gosh, I want to say no, um, but it certainly has to be considered a little bit. Wow, that's big. I would love, and I'm probably going to be able to, bet who's going to get more penalties called on them 
And I know these teams have comparable stats pretty close over the course of New the England's season. a little better. Yes. But not by a ton. Seven and six, yeah, I think, on average. Yeah, not by a ton. So I would be pretty, I'd like to make a wager that Jacksonville gets flagged more in this game. All right, let's go to situations. Point of the season playoffs, obviously experience, big advantage. New England, uh, we've got four out of five road games. This will be for Jacksonville off their biggest win in, you know, ever, decades. I don't know how to say it. It's one or the other. Um, what are the situational biggest factors? That and the fact that Blake Bortles hasn't thrown an interception now in, I think, two straight games. And I don't think he's gone three straight in, like, two years. Or he's only done it once in the last two or two or three years. So uh, the stats say he's probably due. In fact, the props are out. I saw him. Will Blake Bortles throw an interception minus 200? If he throws one early and they get behind, Patriots route. Fez, number one, situational. I think the big upset went on the road, and then you go on the road again. That is a terrible subset you like coming home and being in a home momentum situation after pulling a big upset. The Eagles are in that a similar situation like that, and they're home both weeks. This is terrible for Jacksonville. You come home, they have the pep rally, although not many people attended, off the huge win against the Steelers, and then you got to go on the road. They often talk about, oh, you're playing with house money. You know what my experience is? When I watch blackjack tables and guys are playing loose and fast after winning for an hour, they get crushed playing with house money. Are you, are you able to play blackjack in every casino in Vegas? No. How, what percentage of the casinos got you barred? Only about 10%. 10% got you barred. Yes. But you hit, I mean, you don't, you don't grind too much, right? You just try to pick up a little spending money. I, I just like back count a double deck, scoot in there, play for 25 minutes. They say, you want to get rated? I'm like, nah, I'm only going to be here for 10 minutes. And then I go ahead and get out of there. That sounded like a country song. Back count a double deck scoot on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Here's one for you, Fez, along the your country. But I guess I keep a gambling, lots of booze and lots of rambling. Well, it's easier than just waiting around to die. That's true. I was trying to get a comp at the Hard Rock once, so I said, I'll go ahead and play for an hour and a half, enough to, to be able to go to Nobu's and get comp. That didn't work out so well. I asked for the comp. They showed me security instead. About 5% of the listeners like, Towns Van Zant, awesome. Poncho and Lefty. Willie Nelson, great song, wrote, written by Towns Van Zant. Okay, energy, four out of five plus off a big win. And we've got the Pats. They haven't been on the road for over a month. So, and I think that's huge because if we talked about how old Tom Brady is. So here he only had played 12 games in the regular season last year. He's 40 and a half having all those games at home. Certainly a big plus to keep Brady relatively fresh, although we don't expect him to be as fresh as he was against the Titans trends in this game. So we've talked about big favorites in the playoffs. We've talked about favorites in general in the conference championships. Any other trends? Got one good one. Teams who score 40 or more in a playoff game, they usually win. So they win, unless they're the Steelers. 4-25 and 25 against the spread the very next game. Now, this makes sense. They're winning with offense, and they just have this impre beyond impressive offensive um, performance. The public loves that, and they go ahead and tend to react to that. And that's why we look at this line 8-9. to nine. We talked about the look-ahead line was going to be 10 to 10 and a half. Certainly the odds makers reacted to them putting up 45 against Pittsburgh. You know, that's one of my favorite trends 
I think somewhere you forgot to write down R.J. Bell beside it. Oh, here it is. Um, <laughs> per R.J. Bell, and it's actually 425 and 1. <laughs> Once again, it is R.J. Bell. Got it, Fess? Now, R.J., this trend, of course, does not apply to your Steelers because you have to R. win J. the Bell. game when you score 40 points. So next year won't apply to them. Maddie's fade. You want a Mountain Dew, Maddie? No, no, not at this point. We'll keep plugging. Last question on situation. And maybe this is more coaching. Is there a Tom Coughlin factor? A guy that's beat Brady or beat Brady, beat Belichick in two Super Bowls. He's not a figurehead from all I hear. Isn't he in the film room? Isn't he helping with the game plan? I assume he's been really hands-on throughout this whole process, and, and he's been amazing with personnel. And I never realized how good maybe his personnel decisions were in New York, but they really were in the key uh, defensive positions. They've been amazing what he plugged in in Jacksonville. I think he's a big factor in this game. And let's face it, the Giants beat the Patriots because they were able to knock Tom Brady on his butt. So that will absolutely be their focus in this game. So we'll keep an eye on what the sacks total will be. Um, and with as much as the Brady's throw the ball, maybe we go over four and a half on the total sacks in this game. Although it's probably going to be five at five. I'll be on the sideline. I shall say that explicitly again. The Patriots. When would you play the sacks? When wouldn't you? The numbers. I would play the, the, the sacks over four and a half at five. It's just a lean to the over. What money line would you expect at over four and a half? Probably like, Minus a dollar thirty, I would play. I wouldn't go to minus a dollar forty-five. Yeah, I don't think it'll be any worse than that. You might even be able to shop around and get a quarter thirty. They are called the Saxonville. Yeah, know, I mean, I know Jaguars, but, so. but it's still Brady, and they still get sacked. One of the you know the bar, top ten and least sacked amount. All right, our tenth of eleven factors: market signals. So line move, penny leans, consensus batting. So let's start with the report from behind the counter, Maddie. What are we saying? So this is the only game where, you know, obviously we use different sets of power ratings in our office that have different weighted data sets. And this is the only one where it's different. So over the counter so far, again, three times more dollars wagered thus far on their New England Patriots. No surprise there. But on account, which tends to be the sharper actions, it's fairly even. And I think that has to do with a little bit with the power rating disparity. Look, the, depending on the three sets of power ratings I used, including home field in this game, it was anywhere from seven and a half all the way up to 10. There's literally two and a half points of difference, including home field and the power uh, three different core sets of power ratings we used. So I could see why. Look, if your power rating said this line should be seven and a half and you're catching eight and a half and nine, you go ahead and play the Jags because there's plenty of numbers, guys, that are betting have been betting against the New England Patriots. All year long. The same guys that bet on the Cleveland Browns every single week because the peripheral stats point toward value. And we talk about this all the time is the Patriots tend to overperform their stats. Correct. Year after year after year where no other team does. But these guys are all broke because what are the Patriots? Nine one and one against the spread on, on their, their current run? Uh, well, listen, last year they had the greatest ATS season in the history of the NFL. <laughs> they were 16-2-1 or 16-3-1? Does it really matter? Does not matter. So, And they're 11-5 <laughs> and, they're 11 and five this year. I mean, it's just in, incredible. Betting the Patriots will put you in the breakout. And, you know, I love forecasting where the line moves are going to go. But I got to tell you, I think 8.5 to 9 is where this number is just going to stay. I don't see any movement coming in this game. I do think with the total... We have not seen a Jacksonville Jaguar total above 42 and a half all year long. And we're sitting at 46 to 46 and a half. We are four points higher than any other game. And they're betting the over. And, and 
initially because the last the two games on Sunday both went over. But I really think that what is Jacksonville going to do? They're going to run the ball. What is New England going to do? Make sure Brady doesn't get hurt against that great pass rush. I think the under makes a whole lot of sense. All right. Let's get down to, and Faz, let's start with you because maybe that's it. What is your, so are you actually going to go with the best bet on this? Yeah, let's do it. Well, oh, well that's perfect, right? Because we get to hear our song, right? Even, even if it was a close call, it's worth it. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Fire up your pad and pencil. I give you a piece of my mind. Fast, bad, fast, go. We're going to go under the 46. You know, I'm still holding out hope I get 47 with both those games going over, specifically with the Jaguars-Steelers game going with both teams going over that posted total at 41.5. We might see some upward pressure. Matty was mentioning he's seen some money on the over. 47 my early week buy price. I would bang under 47 right now. But even at 46 as game time approaches, absolutely best bet. And it looks like there's a discrepancy. Square shots, 46.5. And sharper shops forty six. Do you agree with the total, Matty? I do. I actually agree with it. But I'm surprised so far that you know maybe the sharps are waiting to see if they can catch that forty seven. Because when I came here to do the show, ninety percent of dollars wagered on this total on the over. Okay, Matty. If you had to make one bet, what do you make? New England game? Patriots. I'm laying the number here. At you the are. Patriots. You're bad. I'm not trying to buck any trends. The Patriots, the best against the spread team, the last. Decade. I'm not trying to buck that trend here. And we've all seen Blake Bortles in the games when they don't have the leads and how bad it can get. Uh, I just, I'm going to, I feel comfortable laying it here. You know, we talk about proposition bets and one you might want to consider doing is the pleaser on this one. If you go ahead and find like a minus 15 and a half and get like plus 230 on the Patriots, this has the potential to be an absolute boat race if things break right for the Patriots and you'll get some very good money laying that alternative point spread. All right, last thing. And I'm going to pose this to you guys because I'm going on. I, I The schedule was to be on Adam Crowley on Friday. I think I got an email that might be changing that. But um let me see here. Uh, can we do 150 tomorrow? Okay. Yeah, that doesn't, that's fine. Yeah. So Friday's Adam and I'm up three games on the season, two picks a week. So I'm thinking I'm going with a teaser here, right? Cause I don't want to force two picks and I'm thinking a seven point teaser, right? Low extra juice where I'm taking Philadelphia plus I guess you're only getting 10 now. A day or two ago, I could have gotten 10 and a half. And then we were getting, obviously, New England at, you know, minus one, minus two, however you want to say it. So, one, in the NFL playoffs with a seven-point teaser, what are you laying typically? Minus a buck 40. Yeah, I was going to say you're going to lay at least 135. to And it, there's a couple of shops in town, not CG, where you'll lay a dollar fifty. All right, but let all right. So let's forget the lay price for a second. Do if we had if if you had to tease these games, which which way would you go? I would tease New England under fifty four. Or so you're buying you're buying totals points. I would in this game because I don't think even if New England's whipping them, I just don't know that Jacksonville scores at that point. I would buy New England under. I would buy double under. I like your teaser. 
It I, makes a lot of sense. You know, you're doing the basic strategy, especially at 38. I mean, at the 10 and a half at thir- with a total of 38 and a half, you're getting 10 and a half. And we kind of like new England at nine. So we're going through the key number of the seven and three basic strategy yeah. teaser. We're saying, we think the Eagles line, you and I are RJ should basically be two and a half. So we're kind of teasing two and a half up to nine, but we're getting it up to 10 now. Cause the line's three, we get that key number of 10 plus, I mean, the coup de gras and all this is you're getting both the teams that I picked to go to the Super Bowl before the season even starts. So when I'm right about that, you're cashing your ticket. <laughs> I am Elma J. Fuck I think we're going to be cashing a ticket next yacht. week, though, aren't we? Wh- which one's two weeks? Which one's that? The new Minnesota uh, Vikings are going to be favored over the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. Um, where are you at, Fezzi? I mean, you've seen Fezzi, all the look ahead. I will let you buy out right now for a hundred. First, the Vikings have to beat the Eagles. Would you like to? <laughs> buy and that out is not going to be an easy task. Happens, would you fly like to buy out for hundred? Eagles fly, Mister so, Hall. So, so, what is your prediction? If it is, let's say both teams cover by a touchdown, Minnesota, New England. What's the what's the closing line on that? Two and a half, knowing it's going to be favored. Yeah. And, and we, we are plus 200 on that. So, so we, so you <laughs> try to butt, butt heads. Hold on, hold on. It's, I don't have to cut your mic here. You try to butt heads with, once again, it is RJ Bell. And you, what actually, about me? Am I not in that <laughs> list? I started the bit. You jumped on my. Think bed. about how stupid this was of me. I went against <laughs> RJ Bell. I went against Matthew Holt, and, and, I, and, and I went against the New England Patriots. <laughs> yeah, that was not my best. The work. funny thing was, you gave us two to one. You were so confident. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen. Sometimes I was making well, the lookaheads for all four games hey, last week, and all I could think about was Fez when I was writing New England minus and two I gave and a half, you the offer to bet 20. more. I believe, and you guys it, were oh, like, yeah. "No, a hundred's yeah. fine." Well, we listen. You're a nice guy. Some, sometimes, sometimes <laughs> Fez is the underdog. Let's be honest. I'll tell you, it's just occurred to me what the student body has been chanting for the last two or three minutes. It's the name Rudy. <laughs> <laughs> so, in this case, you're Rudy Fez, and I am. Rudy rooting for the Eagles <laughs> yeah. so I can get out of my bed. You yes. certainly will. All right, guys, next week we're going to have an early Super Bowl look and literally two podcasts, if not three additional ones that are going to be surprise non-football pods. One's an interview. Another one is a new show we're going to be doing. And another one is a basketball show. So the plan literally is three podcasts plus the Super Bowl pod next week so be checking your feeds and if you haven't followed us yet you haven't followed us or i guess the better way to say if you haven't subscribed go to your player whatever it is itunes whatever you use just hit subscribe search for rj bell search for dream preview and then when the new pods come next week you will get them in your feed immediately and it's free so why not talk to you there Thanks for listening to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Catch the Wise Guy Roundtable each week. College football released on Wednesday. NFL on Thursday. Don't miss any winners. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit podcastone.com and download the Podcast One app. Have a question for R.J.? You can contact him directly on Twitter at R.J. in Vegas. Live the dream with us each week. Hi, this is Dennis Miller, and I want to invite you to listen to my new podcast, Red Circle Sports, right here on Podcast One. I'll be recapping the weekend's most exciting sports stories, and I'll bring them to you every Tuesday. Plus, 
Hear me chat with some of my favorite sports industry guests like Rich Eisen. So be sure to subscribe to Red Circle Sports with me, Dennis Miller, on the Podcast One app at podcastone.com or on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to rate, review, and share. Be there or be square.